This podcast is a part of the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. This is The Morris Code with your host, Dr. Juanita Morris. your friends better than your friends yeah what's up this is the morris code i'm your host dr j and uh dom you you know you know i know oh okay all right that's my girl um welcome 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 thanks for joining us we this is a little different um for us and we're trying something a little new um and i think part of this is because we've been at this a little more than a year And what we try to continue to do is reevaluate and figure out what feels right. And I think part of the the code is this idea of authenticity. And because we try to be as authentic as we can, we create space to figure it out (laughs) every week. And then we try to do something that feels right and authentic every week. So what do you think, Dom? Yes, no? Yes, absolutely. You just kind of go with the flow and and hope it goes good. Do you be are you are you are you as the producer are you worried when we just kind of go with the flow or how do you work best? I guess would be the question. Like do you work best uh, if you got it all lined out? You got the songs lined out? You know where, yeah. where we're headed? I mean as you... a person I'm very structured and I like things like yeah. I know what I'm doing Monday, I know what I'm doing Tuesday, I know what I'm doing at this time. So when something <laughs> happens and I have to adapt, that's hard in my regular life. But when it comes to radio, while I do like structure, I also do well with it just kind of things happen. Because as a producer, I've been taught in these, you know, yeah. nine, ten years, like nothing goes the way that you plan when it comes to media yeah. or goes to radio, just like anything in life. So you have to be able to adapt. So it does help me where the, when there are shows and episodes where... Yes. There is no plan. <laughs> I do well with that. Right. Yeah. And yours yours is not the only one that does that. Sometimes I show up and I'm like, so what are we doing today? And they're like, well, we had a plan, but it's not happening. It's like, cool, cool. Yeah. We'll make it work. I And I think that's what we do. We try to make it work. Um, I, had a, uh, I had a little bit of a difficult time um, because as the year approached, then I was out for a month. And I, that was harder for me than what I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought that I would just hop back in and everything would flow. And I, I had a hard time kind of catching my bearings um, after I was out for that four weeks. So that was a little different. And it wasn't expected. I think I feel like I'm just kind of slowly refinding the flow. I think you guys picked up right where you left off. Like definitely, obviously, us being out for a month, that's hard coming back into it. And it took a little bit, I think. But even in that first show, I was like, oh, we're, we're just back, and it's perfect, and it works. So 
Um, and that's not the case with everyone. So I definitely commend you guys for being able to pick it up. Thank you, Don. But you know, we don't believe everything you tell You don't believe anything that I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so we are having some conversations this spring, and I'm, I'm, I'm unbelievably excited about the conversations. And we haven't really figured out the format yet. But what we do know is that we don't want to rush the conversations. We also know that there is a flow um, when we are exploring ideas or there are certain questions, but the our conversations kind of go off to the left or they veer to the right. And so today um, I spent some time at the new ICAT building and I'm also working on a summer course for high school students that centers around public safety. And it includes everything from law enforcement to fire to, uh, to um, oh, shoot, to the call center to um, training and all of those things. And so I think it's so cool when everything lined is lined. Um, and so today we're having a conversation with Kevin Jones. And Kevin Jones, you'll find we'll have another short pot in five, ten, it's like maybe like 13 minute podcast because there's an event coming up and we wanted to make sure that we got to the event. But he is such a wealth of information and a wealth of knowledge. And um, I just wanted to share and have some conversation with Kevin. So, Kevin, welcome, and thank you for coming and driving over, because he is not, he does not live in Decatur. <laughs> and everybody says, cool, can we do it? Yes, we can do it over the phone, but I love the studio because it helps me to, one, find that comfort place, and two, I lean a lot on Dom. So welcome, Kevin, and welcome to the studio, and thank you so much for driving over. Yes, uh, honestly, my pleasure. And I love the way you set it up with the conversations because for so long when I first started doing this work about 11 years ago, that's what I called every one of my events, restorative conversations. conversations. And, you know, and the only trick to that is because sometimes in restorative, you know, you start talking about conversations and it's not always about conversations because one of the best things we do in this work is listen. Yes. We listen to people speaking head and heart. Yeah. We listen. And, and that's what I've had the opportunity to do. You know, whether in Decatur, actually, when I first started doing this work, I spent so much time in Decatur um, and, and for good. And to be honest with you, some things I feel a bad about because I was in Decatur and I was learning and and I keep coming back, yeah. you know, for these little small pieces. Uh, but the things that I've learned, I can't wait. I met with um, uh, Jill Reedy about six yeah. weeks ago and we talked about how can we reboot Restorative Practice in Decatur, in well, in this RE39, because yeah. there's so many bits and pieces that people take away from training. Some time that um, research says in a training, people take away about 20%. And what the number one thing people have been taking away from all of these restorative practice trainings that's been going on before SB 100, uh, the law that required restorative justice practices in schools, yeah. in, in align with discipline, uh, to even before that, that so many people marginalized restorative practice to getting in a circle when bad things happen. And so let's start there because I um, I know Dom has a ton of experience in, in this area and is well-versed in restorative practices, and I'm still trying to get the, the terminology correct, so make sure you correct me 
if I if I if it just veers away from yeah. the intended message. And then I was asked somebody else mentioned it and I was like, yeah, so I don't really know what it is. And what I'm seeing, I'm just not sure yeah. of and not that I'm a believer or a non-believer. I just didn't understand it. And so Jill Reedy, who's the regional superintendent now, um, said, I want you to meet with or just meet Kevin Jones because he is amazing. I'm like, that's fine. Like, I'm going to meet him and I'm going to listen. (laughs) But I still don't know. I I didn't know what it was and the the impact. And so before we get to what it is in your time, I just want you because you are a perpetual and continual learner, too. And you are always growing and always learning and have all of these things that are you are speaking into the atmosphere. So talk about who you are. Like, I know you've done a ton of work with my alma mater, which is Illinois State. But talk about who you are and how you arrived at this work. Yes. Um, Appreciate the question because, you know, um, right now and I'm going to do a backward design because right now. I've been traveling, like I said, all over the country, different parts of the world, working with the government of Guyana, uh, working in Curacao with the women's group that takes care of all the restorative justice needs of prisoners in the country, uh, the island of Curacao, to work, you know, doing work and training in Friendship, Wisconsin, uh, L.A., Flint, Michigan. I spent three years doing work with Flint, Michigan. And the, the beauty of it is, I've been able to continue to learn. Yes. Uh, I learn something every place I go. I I, I think I've done close to 5,000 or more trainings, coaching, consulting. And so uh, I started a company called Pathways to Restorative Leadership. And the reason I kind of drifted to get there is because the Pathways to Restorative Leadership, it speaks to more than a company. Um, It is my pathway. And what I do with this work, especially on the leadership level, is really help people see how utilizing this framework that I want to describe, how it can help you. It gives you a place to put all of your academic learning and all of your experiences. So I filter my learning from where I grew up, Housing Projects East St. Louis, sports, academic learning, my work in residential treatment programs, my work in mental health, my work in alternative education, and all of my work as a leader. And yeah. what, what I've found is, is continue to make it better. It's made me better. Yeah. It's, uh, my trajectory of where I planned on being at 61 was really sitting around maybe still refereeing and yeah. you know maybe teaching at a community college to I get to speak all over the world. I teach graduate schools and restorative practices. Uh, I actually wrote a restorative justice and social justice movement, how a social justice movement can be enhanced with the use of restorative practices. I facilitated uh, listening circles yes. throughout the world and pr- uh, primarily in central Illinois following you know, the things we were dealing with with COVID, uh, the murder of George Floyd, anti-Asian hate, LGBT yes. community. And so I've worked with communities, um, different organizations and communities, law enforcement, court services, nonprofit, anti-racist group. But I've also had the opportunity to really, especially in the last three years, to kind of work at the higher education level. I train, uh, I, I've trained colleges in, um, in Pennsylvania, in New York, uh, Illinois State University, U of I. 
And I've also, when we've had some big issues that happen in the community or in some of these spaces, I've gone in and got people ready, and we we use this processes to to really work through some tough stuff. So you ain't new to this, but you're true to this, right? Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. And, yes. But you you mentioned along the way, and so I I I do live by this: who I am, um, what I do, who I am, what I do, and what I believe. They all have to be in alignment. Yes. And so you mentioned right not only your work and your body of work, but you you you've. And, and you were super modest, right? You were like, yes, I've taught some graduate classes, but you've created graduate classes to teach. <laughs> so, yeah. right? And so your academics and your experience and your certifications and your licensure and your life experiences have created a body of work that the rest of us get to partake in, learn, and grow in. Yeah, and thank you for saying that. And it's something I never get tired of. I'm yeah. starting to get tired of flying. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, again, I grew up in East St. Louis. The only yep. place, I, only time I flew is when I played football. We flew to yep. the, you know, get off the plane, play a game, get back on the plane. And now I am in all parts of this world: Belgium, yeah. Ireland, and. But the thing about it is, I never ever get tired of this work. Yeah, I never get tired of sharing this work because. I have found the power in it, and it's so simple. I, the way I describe restorative practices is simple, but not easy, but yet doable. Yep. And so what, you know, there's a lot of theories with it and stuff, and so I really dug into the theory, and I'm that kind of person. I mean, when I don't know something, if I'm interested, I learn. <laughs> I read. <laughs> right? I ask questions. You know, I go to trainings, and I show up, and and I just, what I tell people is I'm going to give you everything I got in that moment. And, and it's just, I've taken so much from those places. Yeah. I think the best thing I can say that I offer in this work is that I feel like I am a leader in this work now. Yes. But I never stopped being a practitioner. Sure, 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 sure. And so I still engage in this process. I train leaders, but also train sophomores in high school. Yeah. I've trained pre-teachers. I've trained student teachers. I've trained people. Um who are going to become principals in buildings. And now I've kind of leaned into the leadership work with superintendents. I mean, I talk to people about this work and help them see this framework and how it benefits them. And sometimes there are people before who probably would have never even looked my way and who now invite me to their spaces. And it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. So it's always, I think for me, it's, it's always cool to do that, to combine that, um, the practitioner with the academic work, yeah. like that brings it to life, right? Yes. You can be an academician, we can do all the study and we can do all the books, we can have all the degrees and all the certifications, but until we are that practitioner mm -hmm. and how we combine those, yes. that that's the beauty. Yes. So here's what I want to do. I want you to share with us what restorative practices, what, what is it, like this field? Yes. Okay, and, and, and what I'm going to do, I'm going to try to stay concise. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, so let's start with the hypothesis of restorative practices. What is restorative practices? First of all, restorative practice is a social science, a social science that focuses 100% on relationships and community. When you talk about relationships and you talk about community, when people are not included in communities, it's detrimental to their human dignity. We are designed to connect to other people. So that's where we start. 
So then we get into the hypothesis, the cornerstone of restorative practices. People are happier, more willing to change behavior yeah. when those with authority and or influence does stuff with them as opposed to uh, doing stuff to them, for them, for or them. being neglectful of them. Yeah. And what that doing stuff with means, high expectations, yep. I support. If I'm asking you to do something, I'm making sure you have the support to do it. Yes. You think about that in the workforce. You think about that in the community. How many times is go do this and there's no roadmap to how to do it yeah. and, and you don't have the resources to do it. And then you, you're you being punished for stuff you are not even capable of doing. That's right. That's right. And so and that's when you get into all this, the, the trauma stuff and all the abuse, the generational harm. Yeah. I mean, you're expecting people. I read a book um by uh, Bettina Love, and it, it was called uh, We Need to Do More Than Survive. And that's mm -hmm. what she talked about. Yeah, yeah. Because we're always trying to, in, in uh, uh, lower incomes, uh, uh, black and brown schools, we're like, ooh, we need to fix these kids. We need to get all these special programs. We say things to them like, oh, grit, you know? Yeah. But we're not addressing the issues of how they got how there. How they got there. And so as long as we have these expectations and say figure it out, going to keep losing people that's so that's right. kind of that cornerstone how do you work with people how accountability has support okay the second explicit practice is called fair process okay. fairness what does fairness look like in my organization at my school in my household and it has to have three principles there one is engagement okay that means a voice so if if i'm a, a um head of a company i'm, I'm a teacher in a class mm-hmm I'm in law enforcement. If uh, I'm about to introduce a change, we're about this new policy, new rules. The first thing I'm going to do is get voices from all the people who are going to be impacted. Sure. The second one is uh, explanation. Why? Why is this being done? Think about a lot of things that come down, even in, in your workplace. Uh, we're changing this policy. We're getting rid of this and we're throwing away this. Nobody knows why. Um, one example that I was working with the school and the school, I was working with these teachers, I was doing a training and they were just really pushing back. Yeah. And I started talking about fair process. And one of them said, we did not, our school district did not engage in fair process with us because we don't know why we got rid of the initiative we had. It was working. And now they're telling us we're doing something yeah. else. So they got the pushback, right? And then the last one is expectation clarity. What are the new rules? Sure. Heard from everybody. People can ask questions. We yes. answer the question. So everybody knows why we're making this change. And then the expectation clarity. When does it start? Who's involved? All of those key things that people need to know. When you got all three of those components in place, the theory is that people will accept those decisions even if they don't get what they want, yeah. if fair process is involved. And that's why you got to make sure you have all those three. And I, there are so many. I go to schools yep. and they were fighting over a level system. Yeah. You know, the the it was new coach. They started a, a new program, and and they were like, we don't like this level system. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and the and the and the my point person who was the district lead said, Kevin, you got to get them using this level system. You know what I said? I said we need to have a meeting and talk about fair process. So I did a mini training on fair process. Mm -hmm. We sat down there in 45 minutes, and all of a sudden we're walking away with, okay, let's get all of our input into this level system, and that's and they were able to put it together and you know put yes. a, come to an agreement within days of working through this by giving voices, 
by talking about the why and making sure everybody's on the same page. But that goes back to what you were talking about in terms of leadership, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It is the biggest pushback from leadership. Sure. And and these are some simple processes. They're, people are doing these yeah. all the time, but they're doing them in isolation. Yeah. And, and then the third explicit practice, which is what I love the most because it fits all of my mental health, human service background, is called psychology of affect. And it's basically, I sum it as, up as understanding yourself, understanding others, understanding our triggers. Yeah, a, a big yeah, portion yeah. of this whole section talks about the story behind our behavior. We got a story, but the story behind it is the one that, you know, carries the most information. The most weight, yeah. And so we're understanding what, when, when um, those stories, our, li the, our lives lived, our sex, our race, our yes. culture, yes. our experiences impact how we respond to everything yeah yes and so when we respond there's this thing is gets deep and i'm gonna go brief i think it's called <laughs> it's called the compass of shame uh, you yeah. can use it it's it's, it's it's very um compatible to trauma-informed cultural responsive but what it talks about is when we're in our good affect uh-huh that's when we're so we're that's when we're thriving yes so think about the day you wake up and everything, everything you just feeling is, good is right flow. yeah and then you run into a situation where all of a sudden somebody triggered you. Yes. Now you're in survival mode. Yes. When you're in survival mode, you go to four places. You either attack other people. Sure. You attack yourself. Yep. You withdraw, shut down, mm -hmm. or you avoid it. And avoid it, you do things to kind of numb that shame because we're into that shame mode. We're into survival. Yes. We're not at our best. That's when you see people like, look around our country, look around our world, and look who's attacking who. Yeah. So we can look at the behavior and say that's bad, right? But if we look behind it, affect interrupted, it helps It helps me, and I th it's helpful to under, be able to understand behavior from a clinical lens instead of a judgmental lens. Yes. Because when people, affect is interrupted, what they need more than anything, somebody to listen to. Just them. to listen. Be yep. present. Don't try, to, don't try to fix it. You know, think about your friends. You, you have a bad day, you talk to your friends, they're giving you advice, they're not helping you. They're nope. making you feel worse. Yep. Just listen. Absolutely. Be present. That person is saying. Because when we can do this through a clinical lens, it allows us to separate the deed from the door. Sure. That's so powerful, though. It is. To separate the, the deed, deed from, from the doer. Yep. You, it, it, I, I trained a Catholic school, and they 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 recited the Bible to me during the training. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the center yes. from the sin. You separate the deed. The deed. Yes. We, the deed's not okay. That's right. But you still have value. Yeah, absolutely. Because then when we don't separate the D from the door, we push people into that stigmatizing shame. We label them thug, bad teacher, bad cop, bad mom. When we do that, when you put people in shame, you push them out of our community and you push them toward people who have who've been pushed out of the community. When I do the trainings, I always say a lot when I get to this space, because uh, it's a it's a line that. Um, it was a big football player in Ohio said to me, I, I was talking about this section, it's about six years ago, and he just stood up and he said, a, a, um, any child not embraced by their community will burn it down to feel the warmth. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what happens when we throw people away. Yep. We're creating a group of people who are angry, who's been thrown away. Yep. So you look, look, you know, and you start thinking about that. You, you see this in all, a lot of places we go. And so then this process, when harm happens, allows us to work through those issues and get people back out of that shame, um, yeah. making them part of the community. And then that gets to the last explicit practice, and it's just application. 
starting with simple language. One specific language we use is effective language. Mm -hmm. Let you know what I think and feel about your behavior. Yes. But it's also a way to let me know how you're showing up. Yes. I'm showing up feeling like this. Let's let's talk about it. Uh, Steve Jobs, uh, I read something uh, recently that that's how he started every meeting. Every meeting at Apple. How are you showing up today? What are you thinking? What are yeah. you feeling? And the reason he did it was so we can get all that stuff out. Out of the way. We get more productive. We yeah. get people in that, in that positive affect. They're thriving. Yeah, because we all oftentimes recognize we we know it, but we don't acknowledge it that whatever it is, we bring it with us. Exactly. Right. You Right. So you, you got to call it out and call it up. Exactly. And, and and a big thing we do in restorative practices, name it. Yes. Like when we were doing listening circles around George Floyd, you know, that that topic was so hot. Yes. And, 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 and when we were meeting as a team to try to come up with how we're going to frame this, you know, we were thinking, oh, you know. Racial injustice. It was all these big words. It's like, no, no, we need to name it. Murder of George Floyd. Yeah. And and I was I participated in one of those listening circles with law enforcement in Philadelphia. And um, I remember, you know, the room was really tense. It was, it was virtual because it was still COVID. But it was a lot of tension in the space. Sure. But in the first question around just your name and what brought you to the space. But the second was, what were you thinking and feeling when you heard about or found out about the murder of George Floyd. Yep. And the police officer, one police officer started out, made me feel sick to my stomach. Yeah. That somebody who does the work I do could do that to could somebody. Do that. It humanized that person. Yes, indeed. It took him out of robot. Yes. <laughs> You're human. Yes. And, 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 and you could see the tension in the room. And I see this a lot because I do a lot of responsive circles for when big issues happen in yeah. primarily Illinois, but in my coaching trips, you know, around the country. And, and it's, I never get tired of watching. You watch the room start out tense, and you just watch it when we start listening to each other on a human level. The tension goes down, and we become humanized, and we're really, we lean into that empathy yes. and solutions versus blaming and stuff like that. And the continuum, it's got some structure questions you can use. It's got those one-on-one conversations, conversations you can use. And then all the way down at the 70%, you start talking about circles. Yeah. And 80% of those circles should be responsible, responsible. Um, I'm sorry, proactive circles, relationship building, community building, because what you're doing, you're creating space for when something bad happens at a workplace, in a household, yeah, in a community, yeah, yeah. in a school, we got a way to do it. We so it's not, it's not like, what do we, no, we're going to take care of this like we always take, take care of this. Yeah. And that's the power. So that's kind of those four explicit practices. The one thing that I left out that I always like people to know, because I spent about 15 minutes on this in training, and it's just a blurb. It's called the AMA Restorative Practices. Mm -hmm. uh, the AMA Restorative Practices um, build relationships to develop community. Yes. Um, tensions and conflicts goes down. Uh, repair harm and restore community. But you really break that down. You got to spend that 80% building, building, building. It was a group of um, African-American leaders in uh, Utah, Florida okay. at the district I was I did their training and then then I did their trainer trainers. I trained them to be training. And after that training of trainers, uh, their takeaway was we're going to spend the next year building community sure. because you can't repair a community you never built. So you got to build it first. You have to build it. And, and a lot of times where there's so many misconceptions about restorative practices, people pull it out when bad things happen. And like, yes. wow, I just had a, I just did restorative <laughs> I work. I've done a circle. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I cringe. And so I am very intentional about making sure people get that 80%. Yeah. You're going to get this. 
because this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, no matter yeah. how great communities are, we're going to have harm. A lot of harm is unintentional. How do we repair that harm? How do we hold that person accountable for that harm? And but how do we bring them back to the community? And the last thing I want to say about that particular area, when you think about traditional punishment, yes, traditional punishment is actually a passive discipline. And the reason that is passive discipline, think about the number of people who've gotten kicked out of school, sure. gone to jail, yep. fired. They blame the people that did it. They never have to acknowledge they caused any Themselves, harm. Themselves, that's right. In a restorative process, before we sit down in that circle that everybody keeps talking about, the party who caused the harm has to admit it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we're starting. If there's so many circles I have not done because the people, they're not I didn't yet. do it, they're lying. I yeah. don't get people together to lie and I don't get them together to fight. When I sit down with a group, I've talked to all of them individually. And when we sit down, we're sitting down to listen to each other with the solution in mind. So I think that for me, it, it um, and I'm so glad that we connected a few months ago because it gave me a lot to think about. Um, I think y'all gave me some resources to look at. And for me, and, and I, you've talked about it and we've chit-chatted today, is that it does create a framework of understanding that you can build on and kind of help us to better understand. Yes. And I can see myself and I can see my work as a part of a framework that is larger than myself, right? Exactly. Like that's what, and at the end of the day for me, what what is happening is one, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm a fish out of water and I'm being called into a space that I'm, I, I'm saying, okay, yeah. but I'm saying, okay, with a, with a side eye, but how do we see one another as humans and how do we continue to restore one another instead of throwing us away? I worked yeah. in Department of Corrections mm -hmm. as a statistician probably two years ago. And so some of this is coming back full circle for me because you're right. Like when you talk about how, how I felt about a thing, I can tell you how I felt when I walked in and that door closed and I looked in reception and classification and I saw the massive amount of men. Yeah. In, that would be that are heading into incarceration for whatever period of time. Yeah. And then the question then becomes is, is have we thrown them away? Mm -hmm. And then with our students, if we talk about expulsion, and yes, I do believe that sometimes we got to remove the people, but what are we doing before to yeah. see the, the, the reasons and the rationale behind the behavior that, that our students are exhibiting or our community members? Exactly. And... Even this, there's many. I always tell people when I travel and do this work, I've suspended students from school. Yes. I've dropped kids from our program. Yes. But you know what? Never threw them away. No. Maintain contact. Yes. Tried to get them into other programs. Yes. And that's where it's at. I have my oldest brother has been in and out of prison most of our life. And my son, who is a, a, a police officer, he was a Chicago police officer. Yes. And now he's a police officer in Bloomington. We, I don't even know how we got on this conversation, but he said, uh, and we might have been talking about restorative work because I, I try to yep. implant some of this with him. And then what what he he said was uh, when I was talking about the D from the do it like yes. you need because, you know, he was young cops and, and they teach you bad, bad, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. bad guys, good guys. And I said, no, there's a story behind that, that guy's behavior. Yes. And, he, and, and when we were talking about it, he said, oh, that's how y'all treat Uncle David. We include sure. him. He's our. <laughs> yes. He, I love my brother. He has been in and out and had all kind of mental health yes. issues. But you know what? We love him. Yes. He's at all of our events. We know how to 
include yes. him. And we also know that I hold him accountable when yes. he's stepping out of box. That's yep. restorative. But I think that the challenge that people have is, is when we talked about resilience or when we talk about restorative practices, when we talk about this language that that we still want to include people, mm-hmm. people automatically assume that there are no consequences. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. Yes. Yes, I can hold you accountable and still love you. Exactly. And that's exactly what it is. But and think about something. Think about kids. Yeah. Go to your room. Yep. Okay. You messed up. You embarrassed me. Go to your room. That kid's in his room. What happens when he comes back? What happens? Back? Yeah. The two kids are getting a fight. And I ran into this a lot in alternative ed. Two kids getting a fight. They're coming back to my building. What's been going on while they were suspended? Yep. Uh, they probably been planning and getting the sisters and the brothers involved. Yes. <laughs> it yes. ain't over. When yes. we go through this process, it's over. And I'm yes. not lying. I, I, I've done so many of these at the school level, and I've done them at the adult level a lot in the last four or five years. It's over. My challenge sometimes is 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 clearly with the with the adults and um and I'm we it's so I'm not gonna give yeah. too many details, but yeah. one of the things is well no, that student can't participate in that program because they done X, Y, and Z. Well, were we punished for that over there? Yep. Dr. Morris, that's why I focus ninety nine percent of my work on adults. On adults. That's yeah. why the leadership piece is so important. I work so much. You know what? Yep. Kids are going to do kids stuff. Yep. How we treat ourselves and how we treat each other is the difference. And if you go around, when you go to the most toxic spaces, what you see is adults at each other. So yeah. this relationship building, this community building is for us. It's not for the kids. Yep. And so, I mean, I have a lot of places to fix my kid. I'm not. And, and, and at first I would, you know, I'm trying to show you know, I do all these conversations like, oh, yes. that was great. And then they're just waiting on me. I'm like, good, look, I'll be here one day a month. <laughs> you going back home <laughs> to all of this. This is yours. Yeah. And so, and, and that was me having to change because I'm a, I, I like to do stuff for people. Yeah. And so I'm like, yes. And I'm like, nope, I'm actually causing harm. I need to, because the thing about restorative practices is they're, like I say, when we think of the, our great people, the people who we like, who are mentors, we liked them because they were doing these practices. They uh, they held us accountable, but they yes. also made sure they hold us. Uh, they provided support. But to build this framework within your system, yes, is duplicatable and sustainable. Because what happens to every great leader that we talk about when they go, they usually the things that they put in place are they gone go. too. Yeah. So this makes it. This is like uh, one group I used to have a lot of pushback from were mental health people, counselors. Um, we don't want, you know, this is not for counseling. And restorative practice is not counseling. However, how many times, I, I would ask them, how many times do you have kids in your office that you know that most of that reason that kid is in your office because something that teacher did or said? Yeah. It's, it's a lot. Yep. The goal is we teach how we can take care of those things in those settings so now the counselor is available for those kids who really have mental health needs, not because that's right. they don't get along with Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so. That's right. And so and that's why that's why I like I do now a building, building uh, leadership teams leadership. Yep. to get it embedded. And so and, and I've been doing a lot of work through the International Institute for Restorative Practices. And I've been s- sort of subcontract. I've had sure. a company for about six years that I never advertised but I'm ready. Yep. I'm ready to uh, to to step into it, and I'm ready to take bring some a lot of my learning back to Illinois, um, because I really think this work can impact our our state. 
So will you come back and have some more conversation? I would love to do this as much as possible. I, would, <laughs> I, I know would, your schedule is full. <laughs> but you know, those times we can do virtual. And like I said, yes. I'm going to be home for it. And because what I would want to do, something I've always wanted to do is break down the aim, break uh, like a, a section on the social yes. discipline window, the fair process, and really get into how can people apply this. And the last three or four years, that's where I've grown Take it, take it past this theory and it feels good and it feels right to what are these simple things you can do every day. And the last thing I want to say about it, because I always invite people to do this and it's kind of become the cornerstone of my company. And that is um, to um, intentionally engage. So engage intentionally. Yep. uh, Practice explicitly. So not just restore to practice a lot of our practices special initiatives in schools, mm-hmm. but be explicit about that practice so it's duplicatable. Understand impact, because every time we come in contact with somebody, we're going to have an impact, impact, so let's be intentional about that yes. impact. And then nurturing in- introspection. I used to say reflection, and someone had mentioned the word introspection, so, I mean, I've heard it before, but I looked it up, and it's kind of how we navigate in real time. Yep. We're checking our own emotions, so we yes. we, we show up in these spaces because it's, you know, we can reflect on harm that we cause and we yep. can make it right. But we're being introspective. We're being aware. Aware. We're being keenly yes. aware of our own emotions so we don't get triggered in these spaces yes, and make things worse. So thank you. Yeah. Kevin Jones, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank I you, Dr. I've Morris. drugged you in here. We've been in here for an hour, hour, thirty minutes style. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can I, I can go. We can keep going. I mean, I, these are over. I train. A, I do some virtual training to be like, y'all want to start over again? <laughs> <laughs> you have been listening to the Morris Code, and um, I am glad that you have listened. Thank you, Kevin uh, Jones, uh, for joining us, and I look forward to continuing the conversation around restorative practices and continuing to learn. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Morris. You've been listening to the Newhoff Media Podcast Network. For more, visit newhoffmedia.com.